be in Matthew chapter 6, page 831. 831 in the Coffee House Bible, if you've got that. I'm really excited to share this teaching with you today. And we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer, because where else could we go? One scholar calls it the master class. Jesus' master class on prayer. You just can't improve on prayer. So as a church, and really as a person, as a family, we know that we can't make it without prayer. And so we're trying to grow in prayer this year. Lord, teach us to pray. And this is, this is how we taught us to pray, this, this Lord's Prayer. In part one, we looked at simple prayer. Remember this? It's been about a month. We said, give him what's in you and give him what he gives you. Just pray what you've got. Then we looked at our Father. The whole prayer, the whole, the whole prayer is built around this idea of connecting to God as your Father and you as his son or his daughter. Um, we looked at the phrases of, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then today we'll look at part four, part four, give us. This is where I want to start, though, unanswered prayer. Um, some of you, you know that my heart was really broken for a, a young woman, a teenager named Alechi Madhu, who, I mean, we prayed here for Alechi. We prayed privately for Alechi. And uh, Alechi was very sick with sickle cell anemia. She had a bone marrow transplant that then her body rejected. And because of that, she quickly deteriorated. And we contended in prayer. I called Jillian up. You remember this? We prayed. And it wasn't just us. People all over the county were praying. People in Nigeria were praying. People in Florida were praying. People were praying all the way around the country. And yet, y'all remember a couple of weeks ago, on Sunday morning, Alechi died. What do we do with this? I was meeting with uh, her parents, and they were contending for Alechi's life, but they were really heartbroken about Alechi's friends like Jillian and Josie and their youth group where she was a part of. What's going to happen to the kids, she said. And this reminded me of another young man many of you may remember named Nick Brumfield. In October 9th, Kelsey's birthday, of 2011, 19-year-old Nick Brumfield died of brain cancer despite hundreds, thousands of people organized to pray. And everyone has a story here of this, right? Whether you knew Alechi or you knew Nick or you know somebody else where you have a story of unanswered prayer. Sometimes it's sickness, it's disease, it's death. Sometimes it's small things, though, right? It's, it's not always just the big things. Sometimes it's, it's the, the one you're dating. Sometimes it's the marriage that you're in. Sometimes it's the prayers that go on and on and on for a child. Sometimes it's where you feel stuck in addiction. Maybe it's a substance or a drink or it's pornography and you're just asking God over and over, will you deliver me? And he doesn't. There's so many ways that unanswered prayer shows up. And what I think we often do kind of as a result of this is that we, in our coping and in our hope to protect ourselves and to protect God, we protect ourselves with the shield of unasking. It protects God too, and, but mostly it protects us from having to deal with the thought that God didn't answer my prayers. And so it's just like, 
I don't even want to think about what that might mean for my faith. I just want to keep pretending like my faith is still fully intact. And so I've learned from this that I'm just not going to ask anymore. At least not for those things. And sometimes it doesn't last, right? Then you may have a breakthrough later that kind of... But for a season at least, after unanswered prayer, very often we cope with a shield of unasking. Then what do we do with a shield? I think that we dress the shield up with pretty kind of prayerful language so that we can bring it with us everywhere. Because after all, it's got to go to bed with us. Because when we wake in the night, we still need a reason to not ask for the things that we're really burdened by. We have to take it even to when we put our kids to bed. Because we don't want to be too bold at the bedside of a child for fear that we might be disappointed. There are these shadows of uncertainty underneath the shield, but at least it protects us from deep pain. Does this resonate? Maybe not forever, right? Many of you have worked through this and you've made your way back into asking, but for some of us, the scars feel like too much and it's too risky, so what do we do about prayer and asking? Some of the decorations that we put on the shield, I've I've heard from many people and I've read many people who are kind of reflecting on why we stop asking in prayer. And some of them are beautiful. Some of them are even true at least 90% of the way. But there's enough underneath them that I think it's worth holding them up and saying, Lord, test me, know me, and lead me in the way everlasting when it comes to asking in prayer. So here's a few reasons that I've heard. First of all, this is what the, the shield of unasking looks like. It, it's decorated with this line that asking is actually childish, that real prayer is just presence. So elementary prayer is when you just want stuff from God. And when you grow up, you'll learn that you don't need to ask anything from God. All you need to do is be with God. And this is not just a caricature. This is what the scholars of prayer often say. They often say, you don't actually want to to ask. Um, C.S. Lewis, in one of his works on prayer, he, he voices it. He voices it like this. He says, the lowest sort of prayer, this is not his view, that he's voicing this view. The lowest sort of prayer, that's the sort that consists in asking for things to happen. And the higher sort, he says we are told, offers no advice to God. It, it consists only of communication. And those who take this line seem to suggest that the lower kind of prayer really is an absurdity and that only children and savages would use it. Some of my favorite authors and pastors were recently on a panel on unceasing prayer, and they say this, obviously, the kind of prayer we're called to is an internal state of being. Obviously, we're beyond asking. Because, they say, prayer is presence. This is the higher form of prayer. And so behind the shield of prayer is presence, We feel totally safe not asking God for scary things. Here's another kind of thing that I I keep hearing. There are bigger things than me to deal with. A lot of this is rooted in a soft heart. This is Richard Foster. He says, it arises from a tender heart 
It's the deference of spirit that says, in effect, I shouldn't bother, bother God with the petty details of my life. There are issues of far greater consequence in the world than my little needs. Underneath this is this idea that my prayers won't actually change anything because I'm too small. I'm too insignificant. The first one is about prayer being too insignificant. This one is about me and you being too insignificant. He may intervene in some things, you know, worlds, <laughs> wars, big things, but me, I'm too small for God to actually care about. Noble prayer, if there is anything close, isn't focused on the trivial things that I might need in the day-to-day. -day. And some say this is because of a sensitive heart, but this last one is really because of a skeptical heart. Now, some of you may recognize this from a Florida Georgia Line. Can somebody sing this song for me? Sarah, I know you got that. Maybe it's just meant to be. It'll be what it'll be. Maybe it's just meant to be. Some of you don't listen to country music. Just so you know, I don't either. But I was so struck the first time I heard this song. You know, this song wasn't only a country song. It climbed to number two on the pop charts, only behind Drake's God's Plan, ironically. <laughs> so... It'll be what it'll be. What's the point? He already knows. So if prayer's too small and then I'm too small, this has a version of God that's almost too big. He doesn't even need me to tell him. He's already got it. It'll be what it'll be. Again, Lewis, he puts it like this. Not his view, somebody else's. He says, I don't think it at all likely that God requires... The ill-informed and contradictory advice of us humans as to how to run the world. If he's all wise, as you say he is, doesn't he already know what's best? And if he's all good, then won't he do it whether you ask or not? If it is, then a good and wise God will do it anyway. If it's not, then he won't. In neither case can your prayer make any difference. It'll be what it'll be. Now, I don't know if any of these resonate with you, but I think all of us struggle with some sense where we are too small for a God who is too big to respond to our prayers that seem insignificant. And so it can be the shield of protection that keeps our day-to-day -day life intact and our faith in God at least somewhat strong. But the problem with the shield isn't that it doesn't protect. The problem with the shield is that it isn't true. Whenever we look at the master teacher on the master class on prayer, right at the center of how he teaches us to pray is asking. So I want to look at that phrase, give us today our daily bread. And then what I want to do is kind of revisit some of these reasons with maybe some, some counter responses for reasons to continue asking. If we've answered why not ask, let's answer why ask? Okay. So Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This phrase is where we'll spend all our time today. Give us today our daily bread. You're like, it's one line. What could you say? And you, but you know, <laughs> there's a lot to say. 
Let's just break it down kind of phrase by phrase. Let's start with give us. Now, the striking thing to me about this phrase, give us, is that it's actually an imperative. This is telling God. Jesus is teaching us to tell God to give us. How can that be? Jesus, don't you know that we shouldn't be telling God anything? We should only be saying, if it pleases you, then deliver this to us like a servant would to his master. But Jesus doesn't pray as a servant to his master. He prays as a son to his father. And so he prays and he teaches us with this imperative to give us. Jesus reminds us that the heart of our father is giving to his children. This shows us something of God, for sure. He's our Father. It shows us something of prayer. The prayer is about asking. Prayer is asking. It's a petition. If you look at, like, dictionaries of the Hebrew words and the Greek words, do you know what prayer means in those languages? It means asking. Look, that, it's just definitionally what prayer is. Foster, he says, the Hebrew and Greek words that are generally used for prayer mean to request or to make a petition. A petition is where you ask for something for yourself. An intercession is where you ask on behalf of someone else. And that is prayer. Prayer is asking. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says it like this, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says, let him know what you want, let him know what you need, because grace is at the center of asking. You can't earn what he freely gives. And so he says, give us It's a reminder that we are totally dependent on a good father who gives gracious gifts to his children. Prayer is asking, and asking is biblical. The the biblical prayers are full of people asking. If you just look at the Psalms, over and over, they're not just describing the way things are, they're asking for things to change. Sometimes they're asking for more of God. Sometimes they're asking for vengeance or retribution. Sometimes they're asking for deliverance from something or asking for forgiveness, but they're all asking. Jesus asks his Father all the time. Even in his prayers, he's asking his Father for things. He doesn't do anything without asking. And he teaches us here to ask. Give us. Give us today. Today. What's interesting is that if you keep reading this prayer, it goes straight into this reflection in verses 25 through 34. He says, I don't want you to worry about, do you remember what word he uses? Tomorrow. He says, today's got enough to worry on its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. He says, your good father knows what you need. He's there to give abundantly. He says, you don't have to run after this God. He's there waiting, running after you. Not tomorrow. He says, just focus on today. Today. Jesus is focused on today, not tomorrow. The word today suggests we're not to worry about tomorrow or about storing up, but about trusting God for what we need that day. They didn't have pantries full, and they didn't have refrigerators, and so this prayer is about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How about this phrase? Give us today our, our. This is important to remember that us is bigger than me. This is a a collective prayer that is amazing in so many facets. 
on the one hand, Jesus is praying this, and Jesus is including you in our. Now, don't get too mixed up on pronouns. What I mean is that when you pray, every prayer we offer in the name of Jesus, you can say our because Jesus is praying alongside you. Jesus, you and me, to the Father, will you give us our bread today? Will you give us what we need today? Our. But when the, when the great kind of scholars and, and teachers of the prayer, when they, were, they saw our, they saw much more than just a connection to Jesus. They saw a connection to our common and fellow humans, our, our brothers and sisters and our communities. Martin Luther, he says this. He says, give us means all the people of our land daily bread. He says, this is a prayer against the exploitation of the poor because those are the ones without bread. He says, this is a reminder that we have to become the people who answer this prayer. This is a prayer not only of petition for us, but of intercession for the poor. Another scholar, he says, to pray for our daily bread is to pray for a prosperous and just social order. We want everyone to have their daily bread, not just me. Our is expansive. So when we pray for our daily bread, we ask the Lord to feed the hungry, and we ask the Lord for us to become people who feed the hungry. Give us today our daily bread. It's the last phrase here. I'm moving fast. You're like, what time is he going to be done? Don't worry. Daily bread is an unusual phrase. It seems, Origen, he's an early scholar, one of the church fathers. Origen says that he can't find any occurrences anywhere before Matthew, Mark, or before Matthew and Luke. It's almost like they made up this Greek word. And any time a New Testament writer makes up a word, we're not really sure what it means because it's hard to compare to other words. Like if you made up a word right now, nobody else would know what it meant. <laughs> You'd have to tell them. And so the, the gospel writers, they coin this word. Modern lexicons, they say, it seems that origin may have been right after all. To put it boldly, one scholar says, we don't exactly know what daily bread means. So some scholars say, is, this, is the bread the word of God? Maybe. Is it the Lord's Supper where Jesus interprets bread as his body? Maybe. Is it the manna of the new world that the prophet said, that the Messiah would deliver to his people. Maybe there's something there. Or is it just bread? Is it just bread? I think if we're going to understand this, we have to look back. And by looking back, we see where this idea of daily bread comes from. It comes from two places in the Old Testament. The first is Israel's daily bread. Do you remember they, they come out of the Red Sea? They go into the wilderness. They're, they're being led by God, and then they get hungry. This is what they say. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, they start grumbling there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, Moses, you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Remember the bread from heaven? It's, it's called manna. And the bread, he says, is a test. He says the people are to go out each day. You see where this might be important for daily bread? Each day, and to gather, gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. 
And some people, they went out and they gathered each day way more than enough, and they tried to save it. Do you remember what they found? They found worms and an awful stench. On the Sabbath day, the day of rest, some people went out together, and you know what they found? They found nothing except that there was actually enough in the jar back in the, in the tent. This is about having enough for today. Israel's daily bread is a lesson of not overindulgence, of not surplus, of not hoarding, but of sufficiency, of trust that God is going to give you enough for today. The other place this seems to come from is in the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. The only prayer in the book of Proverbs is this. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I just want enough. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Some of us, of course, we have pantries full of bread. What do you do if you have enough and more than enough? Augustine, the great church father, he says, you must account yourself desolate. Even if you have enough, you have to see that there's actually some parts of you that are just not enough where there's a brokenness and a hole. He says, however the great the prosperity of your lot may be, you have to count yourself desolate. He prays this prayer, give me neither poverty, lest I resent you, or riches, lest I forget you. Now, no matter how great your circumstances, no matter how full your refrigerators are, they cannot bring us the peace and the happiness and the consolation that are found in Christ. So it's, this is a way of going to the one who is the bread of life and saying, will you give me enough of you today? It's about sufficiency. In what sense? Physical? Yes. Spiritual? Yes. Total salvation sufficiency. It's about going to God and remembering that He gives us enough. So, with this phrase, I think we can build back and start answering some of the things that keep us from asking. So, I want to I move into a- answering that question of why ask? Why kind of lower the shield, however timidly, and actually get into, Lord willing, bold asking. Let's, let's go back to some of these, these questions. Where it was things like prayer is too small, or I'm too small, or God's too big. What does actually asking in prayer do? Why should we ask? I think the first reason that we see in this of why ask is because asking is foundational. Asking is definitional. Asking is prayer. There's, there's like not another kind of prayer. I'm not saying that God isn't present with you in some way and that you can't commune with God in things outside of prayer, but the words prayer mean asking. This is what prayer is. Some have suggested, Richard Foster says, that the real masters of the spiritual life go beyond petition to adoring God's essence with no needs or request whatever. In this view, our asking represents a more crude and naive form of prayer Well, adoration and contemplation are a more enlightened and high-minded approach. This, I submit to you, is a false spirituality. This is not what prayer is. This is not something you get beyond. This is our staple diet. This is prayer. 
Prayer means many things to many people, but at its simplest and most immediate, it means asking for God's help. Because to ask in prayer is human. It's recognizing that he is creator and that we are human. He says, uh, Lewis, whenever he writes a letter, he says, it, it, just imagine a boy who like, chooses to never ask for cake from his dad. He's like, why would he not ever ask for cake? Like if he's like learned that I, I need like a fruits and veggies diet and I don't want cake, that's one thing. But if he's just doing it because he doesn't think his dad's going to give it to him, maybe we should actually reconsider this. What is going on in this relationship of a, a father and a son if he's afraid to ask for anything? Prayer and asking in prayer, it's foundational. We, we, we can't get beyond it. Let me just show you a few times where Jesus, when he teaches on prayer, he tells us to ask. And when I say a few times, I mean a lot of times. <laughs> in Matthew and Mark in Luke and in John, the whole symphony of the Gospels are saying that this is how Jesus wants us to pray. Look at this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Your father, you see the father language? Clue into father. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my father in heaven. This is Mark 11. 23. He says, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is Luke, Luke 9, uh, 11, verse 9. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Last, we see John 14, 13. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask for me for anything in my name and I will do it. 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. A few verses later, verse 16, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Once more, John 16, 23, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Are you tired of hearing this word ask? Jesus is saying, I want you to ask, but who are you asking? Every passage where he's talking about that we just read, every one that we just read, you're asking your father. So prayer's foundational, but in asking, we have to see that asking is relational. Jesus is bringing up the father and the, the parent-child relationship just over and over and over again. And I think this is a really helpful grid to kind of evaluate some of our hesitations when it comes to asking. A lot of our hesitations, if you just say, does this make sense of a good father in a, in a child that he loves, 
all of the hesitations wilt away. Some of us may be thinking, I shouldn't bother God, I'm too small. But not if asking is relational. In reality, asking is, ask because he's your father. Foster says, here we must see the Abba, the Abba heart of God. Asking, we're afraid it may be childish, it may be lesser. But may God, may it be childish because he is your father and you're his child. That's kind of the whole point is to remember that you are his child. Think of a, a, a parent and a child. Jesus says to ask because we are God's children, he's a good father. And so this whole prayer is built on our father in heaven. Give us, give us what we need. He's saying that prayer is this journey that starts with need and it ends in relationship. Just consider a baby. A baby doesn't even have words to ask for what it wants and what it needs. And just by groaning and then soon asking, connection is built over time. It's fostered. It's, love is created. As I'm watching Olivia rock a baby, it's beautiful. It's, it's cultivated by the asking, by the groaning, not by the silence, not by the presence even, but by the asking, because we come for the gifts and we discover the hands and then the, the face of the one who gives them. Foster says, God likes to be asked. We like our children to ask us for things that we already know they need because the very asking enhances and deepens the relationship. In Tyler Staten's book, he says this phrase, I want to hear you say it. You see, our Father wants the relationship that comes from sharing and from giving, from asking and from answering. We see this all over the ministry of Jesus. I counted up 15 different times where Jesus is about to do something for somebody, but he wants to hear them say it first. What do you want me to do for you? 15 different times. He, he waits to give them what he knows they need and what they know they already need, but he wants... I want to hear you say it. Why would he do this? Is he just wasting everyone's time? No, because he wants to give them more than the gift. He wants to give him himself. And when you lean in and ask, that's when his face is close enough to touch. Why does he want us to ask? Because prayer is about relationship. It's about love. It's not magic. Jesus says, if we are evil, how much more? Consider a young couple that's dating. A young man takes his girlfriend on a romantic date through the city, and over dinner, they're just looking into one another's eyes. There are these months of love that have been deepening, and he realizes that he wants to spend the rest of his life with her. But the relationship will freeze in time unless he asks, will you marry me? And when he does, he takes the risk of getting down on a knee, and then love leaps forward. It will not advance until he asks. If we, being evil, know how to ask. Or consider a married couple. A couple, they've been married for 10 years. Their love has been formed through the bonds of the joys and sorrows of life. They lie in bed, looking at one another after a long day, 
there's just so much that's uncommunicated, unspoken between them. They know one another. They are there in the presence of one another. But she looks at him and she whispers, do you love me? Why? You know before you ask. What's the point of asking? Relationship is the point of asking. I want to hear you say it. P.T. Forsyth, he says this, love loves to be told what it already knows, what it knows already. It wants to be asked for what it longs to give. You see, we need to ask, it's, it, that's what prayer is, and we need to ask because that's how the relationship grows. Third, because asking is formational. Imagine a child living in this father's house. We've got three of those. Some of you are like 18 to 25, and you're, you're transitioning from parent's house into your own house, and you start using this phrase that I'm adulting. What does that mean? It, it means the veil of all the things that mom and dad once provided is being pulled back a little. And you realize that there was a whole lot more going in than what I realized. We're like kids that drop pennies in a piggy, in a piggy bank thinking that we're saving up to provide for ourselves. Having no clue that somebody's covering the mortgage, that somebody's doing the laundry and shopping for groceries and preparing, they're packing the lunch, that the clothes are just in the drawer. They have no idea all the things that their, their father and their mother are taking care of. But if you want to mature, and you, if you actually want to grow, growing is not having blinders on for all that the father's doing. It's actually coming to recognize all the ways that you were dependent. The father says, all that I have is yours. You don't have to slave. You don't have to earn. You just need to ask. And when we don't ask, we're assuming that we're earning everything, which is absurd when you're living in the Father's house. Your piggy bank is cute. Your entitlement isn't. So when we forget to pray for daily bread, we deceive ourselves. Asking reminds us, it forms us to remember where our bread comes from. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He makes the, the rain on the just and the unjust. And everything that everyone experiences that's a gift or a blessing comes from him. It's not that you have to pray to get blessings from God. But without prayer, you miss the blessing of God himself in the midst of his gifts. He wants you to experience him as the good father who's taking care of you. So ask. Asking remembers that he's the creator. Asking also remembers that we are human. It remembers where our bread comes from, and asking reminds us that we are dependent. This is the psalm that Cheryl read. As it goes through Leviathan, and it says he's providing food for the hungry lion and, and the great beast of the sea. He says, he makes grass grow for the cattle, plants for man to cultivate. He brings forth fruit from the earth. 
These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. And when you take away your breath, they die and return to dust. And when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. He's saying everything of, of every creature is totally dependent on God to sustain them. In Him, we live and move and have our being. We are not without Him, so ask. Do I ask for big things? Do I ask for small things? I think He wants us to ask for all things. Because my God, the Father of Jesus Christ, is involved in all of it. He's with me in it. He cares about me in it. You can pray for big things, like an end to global hunger, but if you forget to say grace over the fried rice that you pick up on your way home tonight, then you miss out on God in the smallness of life, not only the bigness. You see, when we forget to pray for small things, our God is smaller for our trouble, Tyler Staten says, not larger. Gratitude is the God-given reward for those who can stomach praying for small things. Asking forms us and to grateful people who recognize that we are dependent on Him. And the fruit of gratitude is joy and contentment. It forms this endurance in us. When we ask our parents for ice cream, we learn that it's not good to have it every meal. How? It's by asking and then sometimes going without. <laughs> it's, it's cultivating in us where we learn to wait and we learn to savor. Prayer and asking is formational. Lastly, Asking is powerful. Asking is powerful. Some of us, we think it'll be what it'll be. Maybe it's just meant to be. My prayers don't change anything. God already knows. I'm, what could I do here? But the truth is that your prayers change the world. You do not have because you do not ask, the Lord's brother says. Asking leads to empowerment. Now, some... This is kind of my core tension here with prayer, and it's not just mine, it's other people's too. Why ask for what God already knows? If it's good, then he'll do the good thing. If it's not good, then he won't do the thing. Why does he need me as, a, as an unwise, small middleman? Well, we have some answers here as to why you should still ask. But does prayer actually do anything when it comes down to it outside of our own hearts? And the scripture's answer is yes. It does. How? Some of us may think, well, God already knows. He's just going to do what he's going to do. It'll be what it'll be. Lewis interacts with this, and he says, in every action, not just in prayer, this is true. So why do anything at all? Why wash your hands? If God intends your hands to be clean, they'll come clean without you washing them. If he doesn't, they will remain dirty no matter how much soap you use. Why ask for the salt? Why put on your boots? Why do anything? Everyone who believes in God must therefore admit quite apart from the question of prayer, that God has not chosen to write the whole of history with his own hand. That God has not chosen to write the whole of history with his own hand. God knows what you will pray for, yes. And God knows what you will not pray for. And when we pray, it creates new worlds, it creates new possibilities. Not that we're unknown to God, of course he knew. He knows what you will do. He knows what you will not do. He knows what you will pray, so pray. Because prayer, in his foreknowledge, creates new possibilities. Foreknown, yes, but they, they inbreak in the world of heaven into the world of earth. History belongs to the intercessors, Walter Wink says. 
but we don't know what to pray for as we are. We have these contradictory prayers like, give me patience quickly. We don't even know how to pray, Paul says. We have these short-sighted prayers where we ask for things that are in our best interest right now that aren't in our long-term interest. What do we do there? You pray and you trust, yes, but you continue to ask because asking changes things. God answers prayers. Prayers create new worlds by the power of God. One of my friends, he's a a pastor in Nashville. His son uh, developed in an abnormal way with his legs, and one of his legs was just a couple of inches shorter than his other one. And so he had to wear a wedge and a shoe. That way his hips didn't get out of alignment. And one night at their small group meeting, it was kind of like an afterthought oh yeah, we need to pray for, for our son. So they, they brought him in, they laid hands on him, and they asked that the Lord would heal him. And as they prayed, the boy would say, uh, my legs started burning during that prayer. That was weird. And then they had him stand up, and immediately after the prayer, his leg was healed. Dad, in his unfaith, he would say, was scared to throw away the wedge out of the shoe because he's like, can God really do stuff like this? There was a, a woman named Monica. Um, she had strong faith. She was a single mom. She had one son, and she, she poured everything into the one son. Every night when he was an infant, she would put her hand on his forehead, and she would pray that the Lord would grow his faith and would bless him. Um, but in turn, he actually rejected everything about his mother's faith. She was this woman who prayed all the time, who sang all the time, and he hated it. And he actually gave his life to dismantling Christianity in his region of Africa where he lived. He was a womanizer, well-known in his community. He was a drunk, but he was also brilliant, and he became a philosopher to discredit Christianity. But still, every night, she prayed, she prayed, she prayed. One night when he was 19 years old, she prayed, and she had a dream that she interpreted that God was going to do something special with this boy, and he was going to draw him back to himself. And every night for the next nine years, she continued praying for her son until finally he was taking a trip to Rome, and she decided that she was going to pray all night for her son and his faith. Who knows what could happen in the city like Rome from the small town of North Africa? turns out he left a day early. So the night that she prayed wasn't the night before he got there. It was the night that he traveled. And then when he got there, he stepped into a garden and he heard the voice of God, he would say, and it said, pick it up and read. And he found found some scriptures, a collection of the Apostle Paul's writings. He opened it up just to a random spot and it was Romans chapter 13. And he was undone by the spirit of God and he gave his life to Jesus. Monica's son, is the most important Christian theologian since the Apostle Paul. His name's St. Augustine. Your prayers change things. God hears your prayers. Except for the times they don't, right? I was visiting... um, Visiting my friends, and Alechi's mom was she was devastated. Why? She says, "I've read the Bible. 
we did what they did. We did what Daniel's friends did. Where is the fourth man in the fire? We did what the church did whenever Peter came back and he knocked on and they thought it was his ghost and he was spared and they couldn't even believe that God had answered. We, we had women praying. We had teens praying. We had people praying. Why didn't he answer? He says, she, everywhere in scripture, this is what he does when his people pray. Why? She says this. Help me see it. Is there a single story? Is there a single story where God doesn't answer? Can you think of one? Scripture says that the Lord stores up two things, our tears and our prayers. This is Psalm 56, verse 8. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? List my tears. Record them. Your tears are remembered. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Psalm 126, 5. My great-grandmother lived in West Texas where it rarely rained. She had this huge 50-gallon barrel that just sat underneath her house. It was to collect rainwater. And whenever she needed to cook, rather than draw water from the well, she would go out and make like her, we called them rainwater beans. I never imagined how disgusting that water was. You could see the mosquito larvae just like swimming in it. But she stored it up, why? She stored it up to be used later. She stored it up for something that would be useful later on. Scripture says that the Lord stores up our tears. He records them. It also says he stores up and records our, our prayers. Revelation 5.8. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fall down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. Later on, Revelation 8, another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer the prayers of all the saints. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, he filled it with fire and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings, and lightning, and, and an earthquake. He remembers your prayers. They're stored. And sometimes those prayers that are stored go up as incense to God. And sometimes they're cast down on the earth and things change. There's this scene at the end of the Gospels where Jesus says this. This is in, in Mark. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Do you remember how this story ends? But not as I will, but as you will. If there be any other way, let this cup pass. You see, Jesus wept in the garden, and his prayers ascended, and he experienced the total crushing loss of unanswered prayer. And yet, I have total faith 
that his tears and his prayers were stored in heaven for all the joy that was set before him. He knew it would be worth it. They would be answered, that they would be stored, and they would be unleashed into salvation. All things are possible for you. And so there's some peace in looking at the person of Jesus, the true son, speaking to his true father, and showing the reality of unanswered prayer, and yet asking anyway. What time is it, Kels? Okay. Read, let's just be done. Uh, can I point you to something on the back of your bulletin? This is a, a tool to write your own prayer in your own time. You see it? This is a, a, an exercise for contending prayer. It's a way of, of journaling a prayer and of, of writing your own. Let me just talk through it, and I won't, I won't give you time today. I'll let you go get your kids. Um, what it does is it starts with a prayer that looks at God and it comes up with a name for God. Our Father is always a good place to start, but is there a name of God that connects with what you're asking for, with your request? After you, you can give God his name, connect it to the truth of God's nature. God, you were good, you were kind, you were compassionate, you were forgiving, you were near. Whatever it is, the, the doctrine, the truth of God that connects to his nature. And then number three, now what are you asking for? What do you need? What do you want? And then the result, the good result, if the request is granted, the so that of the prayer. And then finally, appeal to the intercession of Jesus. Now, this, this method of praying comes from a guy named Thomas Cranmer back in the 1500s. He wrote the Book of Common Prayer. And it's, it's just a really helpful way of, of remembering who God is, remembering the truth of who God is, and then framing our request in light of who he is. I think if you're asking for something, this can be a pretty good format. There's a lot of ways to ask. Just ask in prayer. Could you stand and I'll just bless you and we be sent out. Our Father, help us to remember that we are your beloved children and that you are a good Father. Would you draw us to yourself? As we lean in with asking, would you lean in with your gracious presence and make your face shine towards us and give us peace. In Christ's name, amen.